Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you're joining us here for the very first time, why not make a commitment to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life? Simply click on the subscribe button wherever you happen to be receiving this podcast from and you'll be sure not to miss another episode. Today we're rounding up a little section of just two days when I've been looking at Jesus's view of the law as found in the text of Matthew that we reached. Really it's the text covering verses 17 to 20 where we looked at the first two verses last time and today we're going to be picking up at Matthew 5 verse 19. So with that said, I'll just sign off for now and I'll see you at the end and maybe give you an update on a few things. But other than that, we'll drop straight into the main text. Okay, here we go. We're picking up again in Matthew chapter 5, today looking at 19 and 20 and thinking about what Jesus teaches and his view of the law of Moses is. Now I suggested last time yesterday that as Christians we now fall under a greater and more perfect law, the law of Christ, which does not, as some suggest, replace the Old Testament law, it fulfills it. Now that sounds the same thing, but it isn't quite the same thing at all. Under the laws of Christ, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated, not only here in the Beatitudes that we looked at recently, but also elsewhere. But have you noticed or did you know that one of those commandments is not addressed or referred to under the law of Christ? And can you guess which one is missing? Well, if you noticed in his teaching in the Beatitudes that Jesus said nothing about keeping the Sabbath. Now, the reason he did this because the essence of the whole of the New Testament and what he's teaching us now is now teaching us something different. It's telling us that we are now under grace. We are now under what is sometimes called the law of love. And if you follow that law, you will by nature fulfill the moral law because that which was a set of religious rules and regulations based around worship and atonement through sacrifice have now been replaced by the one time, once and for all, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we now fall under his law of love and grace. No passage better sums this up for us than probably Romans chapter 13. Beginning in verse 8, I'll read a few verses for you. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandment, you shall not acquit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covered, and whatever other commandment there may be, are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to your neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Now the law given to Moses, as we see here, it said things like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't lie. And in a sense, we still, of course, should live that way and keep those rules. But the New Testament now says that you are no longer under the Mosaic law judicially anymore because we now come under the law of Christ in regard to living this way. 
And Paul here points out that the only thing we need to remember is simply to love one another. And Paul is pointing out and arguing that if we understand this, if we truly understand this, and we are truly loving one another the way God wants us to, the way God loved us, then we're automatically going to fulfill the law anyway. You see, if I truly love you, then I'm not going to kill you, am I? If I love you, I'm not going to steal your property or take your wife or ruin your reputation. Of course not. But the big issue is we're now under grace, which is why Hebrews 4 verse 16 tells us that we can approach God in a new way. 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, what we have in the law of Christ is the grace and the power to do what he has said and be how we should be in the future, knowing that when it comes to time where we approach the throne of grace, we can come in confidence because we do it not in our own merit, but in the merit of Christ. And as we live this life, God will give us the grace to not only fulfill the law, but to love other people, even those who have sinned or offended against us. We are now able to keep the law because we no longer have to try and do it in our own strength. Now we can depend on the grace of God to forgive us when we trip up, And just as we know we have been forgiven, we are thereby enabled and empowered to forgive others. Jesus later in this book will say that the greatest commandment is to love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbour as yourself. So as far as Christ was concerned, this whole thing about the law is now bound up and sealed under the law of love because that gives us the ability to live that way and the ability to do that is given to us as a gift of grace by God himself. So let's just return to this main text in Matthew that we're looking at and I'll pick up and read for you verses 19 and 20 which tells us, and remember this is Jesus himself speaking, Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one or the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So please note that this is the conclusion, the summary statement and conclusion of all his teachings up to this point. And it is saying that we are no longer under the law of Moses. Rather, we can now fulfill the law of Moses because all the big issues that law pointed out have been dealt with by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the two main issues are actually addressed here specifically in these verses, the two main things that rise out of that. And I'm going to try and deal with them both today and finish that off today but i'm going to do it if you'll allow me in reverse order in verse 20 it said except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness described by the pharisees then in no way will you enter the kingdom of heaven so the issue in verse 20 is about entering the kingdom of heaven what's the criteria for it but then the previous verse in verse 19 is not about getting there 
everybody in that verse is seen to be there in the kingdom of heaven. It's about being whether you're considered the least or the greatest in that kingdom. So everybody is there in verse 19. And it's talking about how those things are for those in the kingdom. And verse 20 is talking about how to get there in the first place. So I'm going to deal with these two issues in reverse order. Because I think it's helpful to talk first about how we get there before we talk about what it will be like when we get there. So how do we gain the kingdom? Well, it seems to me you have to have a righteousness that is greater than the one that was being taught by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And that's what he's pointing out. Now, these guys who were the religious leaders of that time, they put a great emphasis on the external obedience to the laws given to Moses. And in the next episode, we're going to look at what they said. And we're going to look at what they said versus what Jesus said. But just to give you a quick example, Jesus is going to say things like, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. I say unto you, if you have already hated people in your heart, you've committed murder already. So the point Jesus will be making is that you're going to need more than this religious external type of righteousness taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. You're going to need to have a new type of internal righteousness. And don't think just because you can say, oh, I've never murdered anybody. Jesus say, well, that's not quite the case. If you've held hate in your heart, then you've already broken that commandment. So this is a much higher standard, isn't it? And he will be seen to apply it across several of the commandments as an illustration of this. And in doing so, he will tell us now that this new higher standard is going to be the one that we're going to be measured against. A standard which points out that there is no one righteous, no not one, when measured against the internal standard, we are all seen to come short of the glory of God. But don't worry, he will point out how we can have victory in that. So although it appears to get worse, because it points out the fact that we are all sinners, and now it also points out that the penalty of our sin is death, But it only gets worse because it's going to get better because the New Testament and Jesus and all the writings of the New Testament will tell us that Jesus Christ, God's Son, died and paid the penalty for our sins, paid the debt of our sins and even rose from the dead in order that we too might rise to the dead and have access to the kingdom of heaven. The New Testament teaches us that by simply trusting in Christ, You are declared righteous by God. In fact, that's the entire purpose of some books of the Bible. It's the entire purpose of the book of Romans, for example. In fact, the first five chapters of that book focus entirely on this thing called justification by faith. And the word justification means to be declared righteous. But it gets even better because we're not only declared righteousness, we are gifted, imputed, the biblical word is, with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. It tells us in Romans 5.21, For he made him, that's God, made him, and he who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, in Jesus Christ, we can stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So in order to enter the kingdom of God now, 
All you have to do is have the righteousness that he had, which is greater than any righteousness taught by any scribe, Pharisee, or even any religious leader today. We just have to trust in him as our own personal saviour. Not ourselves. We don't trust in ourselves anymore. We trust in him and thereby we gain the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus Christ and the right to stand before God. How absolutely straightforward is this? How perfect is this? It's simply saying it takes nothing else than recognising that you are not good enough and that you have not lived a life without sin. And by simply accepting that, by simply accepting that your salvation cannot come from somewhere within yourself, it has been imputed to you from outside yourself by God himself through Jesus that that is how he has made you right with him. To me that makes perfect sense. In that salvation, of course it must lie within God himself, the perfect God, the one who created us, because he is the only one who can atone for the sin. We can't do it for ourselves. Knowing that it's not our own moral uprightness or some code of decency that comes from obeying a bunch of man-made laws is the thing that makes us right with God. It's the key here. Being made right with God comes by simply trusting in Jesus Christ and presenting his perfect life and his ministry as a substitution for our own shortcomings. Now this may come as quite a challenge to some people who have not heard the Bible taught in this way because they've lived in a tradition where they felt that their salvation relied within the religious organisation. That still goes on to this day. But let me show you another passage that clearly states that this is the case. Paul here is speaking about himself and he's comparing his own moral righteousness with that of Jesus Christ. And right at the beginning of this chapter, he talks about all that he has to his own credit, religious-wise, and how he has kept the law. Well, just listen to what he says. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, though I might have thought I have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks that they have confidence in the flesh, then I even more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew among Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted. I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which in the law, I was blameless. So what he's talking here about is his previous legal external righteousness that he felt he had by following the rules as a Pharisee. But then he says how you've got to have more than that to gain access to the kingdom of heaven. Listen, he continues. But what things were these that were gained to me? These I have now counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And now count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having any of my own righteousness, which was from the law, but that which now comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
You see, there are two possible options. You can stand before God and say, look what I've done and how I've lived my life. You may even stand there and say, look, I've not killed anybody. I didn't rob a bank. Well, what you have there in those regard is you have the righteousness of the law in regard to those particular commandments. But Jesus is saying, that's not the measure anymore. It's not the standard you have to have. It's a greater righteousness that you need to have and to seek. Now you have to have the righteousness that comes from God himself through Jesus Christ. Because you were clothed, he says, in other words, you appear before God now in his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Then and only then will you be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's not because of anything that you did, it's because of what Jesus did. So like Jesus himself said in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that that is taught by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It takes a much greater type of righteousness than that to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's now drop back into Matthew chapter 5:19 and find out what it will be like when we get there. And it says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice this is a difficult, but it's a fascinating verse. So we now know how we gain heaven by the righteousness of Christ, not of our own making. But what happens if we break the Mosaic laws now? We know that if we don't know Jesus and we break the law, we are still judged under the old law, and the judgment for sin under that law is death and internal separation from God. But here in this verse, it's clearly talking about people who have already entered the kingdom, and it's talking about their being the greatest and the least. So anyone who comes along and says to you that as a Christian, if you fall back into sin, you lose your salvation. Well, you can tell them that they're wrong and you can quote this verse to them. There are, of course, consequences for sin, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. Those who teach that if you break the law and sin as a believer, you will not gain heaven. Well, that's just not correct, according to this passage and many, many others. If you mess up now... You don't fall under the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. You now fall under the law of Christ and the law of love. And you will be positioned in heaven according to the standard that you set and how you are judged other people in this life. And this passage tells us that there are some who are going to be called great in the kingdom of God and some less so. Now, when we get later into this Gospel of Matthew, we will witness a huge debate between Jesus and the Apostle about who's going to be great in the kingdom. And Jesus will deal with that discussion, and I'll teach on that at some length later. But it's worth saying he's simply going to say it's the exact opposite of what you guys think it's going to be. He will clearly teach in this book and others that the greatest in the kingdom will be those who are the least in the world meaning the servants of others, and that the true service of other people in God, in love, is nothing more than showing an expression of God's love to everybody else we come into contact with. So if you understand this passage in the context of the book of Matthew, in the context of the New Testament, and in the context of the Bible, 
you fulfill the laws now not by keeping a set of religious rules and rituals, but by loving and serving and putting other people first. Why should that be a mystery to so many people, including Christians, sadly? How obvious it is, how can they not see that when God came down and he walked the earth and he did what he did, how can they not see that that's what we should be doing also? The law of Christ means that now, by God's grace, we are declared righteous and by trusting in Christ, we are able to build your life upon his example Now, but the beauty of it is, you don't have to go out there and do it in your own effort. We're also given the gift of the Holy Spirit, where we are truly able to love people, just like he loved people. Now, on some occasions, that love of Christ, the love that we express, will appear very different to the type of love the world expects. The world loves to define what love is. And they usually do it by cobbling together a few moral statements, mix it in with a few religious rules. And if that wasn't bad enough, they like to throw in a few man-made rules of their own. And they try and put you under a way of living that is just another man-made type of law. But two things always happen to people who try and live that way. One is they find they can't do it. You can't live under any law or moral system because we are not perfect people. We are sinful human beings with a sinful human nature. What usually happens is that people fall short and then they usually become demotivated and give up trying or they feel guilty all the time because there seems to be no possible way for atone for the fact that they aren't perfect and they can't meet the standard. Or the second thing that happens the more dangerous things that happens, the thing that makes them less likely to find a way through this perspective is they drop off all humility and they kid themselves that they're doing fine. And they walk around thinking, because I do these things, now I am righteous. And it changes the direction of their lives from seeking internal righteousness to showing off external righteousness to other people. And that will change someone's whole attitude and personality and it's in opposite direction of travel in life than what God wants us to take but if you understand the law of love and you understand that you come before God with nothing of your own remember that from the Beatitudes it's about coming before him poor in spirit knowing that without Christ we have no righteousness of our own and no hope in heaven it's about that internal attitude that God is after an attitude of gratitude and dependence upon him. And remember, he now is the one who pleads for us before the throne of God. As a quick aside, he's already doing that now for us today. When we fall short in our living in this world, in this life, or when we get things wrong. Because as the resurrected, ascended saviour in heaven, we are told he is constantly interceding on our behalf before his father God. Living under the law of loves means we are now able to allow Christ to pay for the debt that we have accumulated by trying to live our life under our own religious or moral code prior to knowing and accepting him as the saviour and the one who can pay that debt. I wonder if any of you out there have ever owned the inland revenue. Have you ever owed the inland revenue money? 
And I wonder if any of you have ever waited to the last possible minute before you paid that, before you wrote the check or made that payment. You see, when you do that, you meet the demands of the law, but your heart isn't really in it, is it? But friends, God is not the taxman. If we're living by the external laws, you might put things off to the last minute, and when you do come before God, you're in a sense coming before him begrudgingly. But in doing that, in delaying that, you're missing out on what God's plans are for you and the blessings he wants to give you today in the kingdom as taught here in this passage. So if you really understand what grace is all about, then you can settle that debt of sin before God immediately today. And if you haven't done it yet, then do it today, friends, and do it with a heart of gratitude. Do it by trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone as the one who not only paid for the debt for your sins and shortcomings, but granted you forgiveness when you stand before the throne of grace. Okay, there we go, friends. That's it for today. That massive portion of scripture and thinking covered there, and I hope you find it helpful. And we'll turn tomorrow and we'll carry on cracking through this amazing Gospel of Matthew with so many of the direct words of Christ's teaching himself. I do hope you're benefiting from it. I know I am in the preparation of it. And if you are benefiting from it and you recognise it's of value, then why not consider sharing it on social media so other people are able to not only benefit but perhaps make the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives also. And just while I'm, I'm on this subject, everything I do, all the teaching I do, is copyright free and it's in the public domain for you to use, share, use it for your personal study time or to create resources of your own. Do it with my blessing and I trust the blessings of the Lord. And the place where you'll find all that is by clicking through to the episode notes page of this podcast where you'll not only find a transcript of what I've said but links to all the other ways that you can connect with my teaching, my ministry and even partner if you want. But with that said, thank you so much for joining me. It's a real thrill and excitement and encouragement to me that you've made the decision to follow along on this amazing project together as we work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And with that said, it's bye now from the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.